0: this week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.
1: Good morning, Memphis. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. And this is a Meanwhile in Memphis, like I just said, uh, with New Memphis, which is a local leadership development nonprofit with a full spectrum of leadership programs from collegians all the way to C-suite executives. And I am your host, Anna Thompson, otherwise known as AT. And guess who made her valiant return this week? My work
0: wife, Erin Wendell. I'm back. Back again. I need I need, <laughs> another, I need a, another creative way to <laughs> to herald my return. But
1: dear listener, we have something that is right up Aaron's alley: education.
0: So we couldn't invite anybody else in. So Aaron, are you excited to be here today? Pumped. This is one of my favorite parts of my job. Um, it only happens once a year, but our annual Educators of Excellence Award. Um, I just get to read so many incredible applications and resumes from teachers around our city, um, teachers, administrators, school instructional staff, um, doing great, impactful work and being so humble about it. Like sometimes you really got to encourage people like through nominations yeah. to get them to apply because um, most teachers never think they're good enough. They always want to be doing more and better for their students. Um, But this is really an opportunity to showcase those folks. So every year, um, thanks to the generous support of the Cruz Family Foundation, we are able to honor and recognize five educators of excellence in our city. They get a $1,500 cash prize, um, an award. We get to celebrate them at an event. Um, This year in August, we had... um, a Spill It event, a storytelling event with Chalkbeat and we got to hear some stories from students and teachers and school leaders uh, and then announce Our new class of educators of excellence kind of in the presence of community members um, And so I'm, I'm pumped to start talking to our first educator of excellence today and to share More about all of our winners uh, throughout this year with our listeners
1: I know. I'm really, really excited. Um, What is super fun about this particular guest is I already knew a little bit about her, even though I didn't know I did, because I've had the pleasure of interviewing all of our previous educators of excellence, which include her husband, Daniel, and her sister-in-law, Beth, who won in previous years, because they are such a fantastically wonderful, giving, compassionate, intelligent, educational family.
0: Really, yeah, truly a dynasty. Um, I mean, it's each amazing. application stands on its own two legs completely. Um, we actually do blind reading, um, yes. so all of the um, personal information <laughs> is redacted. When Valen when. was candidate number nine at
1: uh, twenty-seven, <laughs> yeah, yes, right. twenty-seven, and so yeah, uh, I'd like scroll through forever to like find which ones were her
0: application questions exactly. to even so, do this
1: interview to your listener.
0: Uh, so it's it's exciting that right Uh, on each of their own merits they're so deserving of this but then collectively to think about all three of them not native memphians coming to our city um persisting so long in the classroom and in leadership roles now like just so grateful like striving for excellence like i know that probably sounds
1: cheesy and like corny for me to say but i really when talking to all these people like it's Amazing, the stuff they're doing. They are doing so much more than the status quo. They're going above and beyond. They're constantly seeking out new ways to make themselves and their students and their classrooms better. And it gets me really fired up, honestly. So I can see why it gets you fired up. This is your favorite part of your job. (laughs) So without further ado, dear listener, our first um, Educator of Excellence honoree that we will be chatting with this year is Valen Warner. She teaches ninth and 11th grade. Um, at
0: East High School. English. Thank you. Shout out to my fellow English teachers. Yes. I say fellow like I'm still doing it. You know, once an English teacher, always an English teacher. So she
1: also uh, mentors new teachers through the Memphis Teacher Residency and has been an ELA fellow for Shelby County Schools. She's been named a Fund for Teachers fellow and has received numerous local and national grants to build a diverse classroom library and support new teachers as they build their own classroom libraries. This past year, she earned her reading specialist certification and completed the process to become a national board-certified teacher. She is an alumna of the New Memphis Stride program. So and, she's a teacher,
0: but based on all that, you can tell she's a learner as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, she's she's extra, she's, she's excellent, truly. Um, she exemplifies the magic that happens when a teacher is retained over time. Um, and Erin had a little pull quote here from one of her— uh, answers to on the application for this and it says uh, so Valen writes my desire to serve our city's most vulnerable students has shaped me into an educator of excellence an educator who is willing to persevere through difficult circumstances I feel a special calling to work with children who have experienced educational inequity and who as a result do not feel confident in their abilities as learners This calling has led me to stay in the classroom despite many challenges, ever-changing education policy, new curricula, bureaucracy, and limited resources, as well as high teacher turnover rates and a global pandemic. I have learned to continually pursue my own growth despite challenges that I face.
0: I mean, come on. Let's jump in and hear from Valen about all that growth and, and what it's been like as a teacher. Here we go. How are you
2: today, Valen? Oh, I'm doing well, just enjoying the nice weather. Finally. <laughs> I know, absolutely. Um, well, we're so excited to have you
1: with us, and mm-hmm. congratulations, again, for being an educator of excellence.
2: Thank you so much. I feel really honored and excited <gasps> to be Part
1: of that. Well, as Erin likes to say, you are actually part of the Warner Dynasty now because <laughs> of, of like tremendous educators in our city. And mm. so it is our honor to be able to honor y'all. So well, thank that's you amazing. So much. So for those who do not know, Valen's husband, Daniel, won Educators of Excellence in 2019. And her sister-in-law, Beth Warner, won in 2020 because they are just amazing educators. And isn't that really exciting that their entire family has not, well, I guess not your entire family. It's not three people, but (laughs) But a lot of us. Yes, that a lot of you have um, chosen education as a career and Mm -hmm. that while in that career, you drive and strive towards excellence and are getting the job done. So we greatly appreciate that here in this city.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun thing that we get to share that. It really is. And a joy that you're all New Memphis alumni and yes. have continued to engage with us and, and share your talents, um, both with us and as an organization and, of course, with your classrooms and students across the city. Yes. So um, I wanted to start
1: off by telling our listeners a little bit just about you, who you are. Are you um, originally from Memphis? If not, how did you get here? Why do you stay You know, that was like 12 questions. But (laughs) the first question is just tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure, yeah. Well, I am from rural Arkansas. Okay. Very, very tiny area. So I grew up in a town of 124 people. A lot of those people were actually related to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shout so. out to all of you listening today from rural Arkansas. Right. Glad yes. to have you <laughs> on air with us.
2: Yeah. So I grew up coming to Memphis and Little Rock a lot uh, just because I was from the region. And, you know, if you wanted to go to Target or anything. <laughs> or even needed, Walmart. You yeah, to go a little bit. Yeah. In. Yeah. Right. You needed to drive a little bit. Um, so that's kind of where my roots are. I went to college uh, outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee and Lookout Mountain Loved it there. Beautiful Uh area. Super beautiful. And then ultimately relocated to Memphis to be a part of the Memphis teacher residency. So I had worked with um, students throughout college in an after-school tutoring program. And through that was like, okay, this is is for me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I was an English major in college, but hadn't considered. (laughs) Yes, yes. I loved it. But I hadn't considered education. But then I realized that I spent a majority of my time working with students. And so found out about MTR and it seemed to be the right path for me. I love that. So that's what brought you to Memphis. What keeps you in Memphis? Mm, That's a great question. Um, (laughs) I think, yeah, I think the the call, the initial calling that brought me here continues to sustain me here. Um, I also, I love a lot of things about Memphis. I love the food, the culture, the fun and have family. So my in-laws actually relocated here, man. Two years ago now, and then my family being an hour and a half away, it's just, it's home now, you know? That's so awesome. I'm here to stay. Good. Well, we're happy to have you. Our benefit. I for know, sure,
0: right?
1: <laughs> um, so, can you tell me? You said you weren't always interested in education, but you were obviously interested in English and so as a major, at least, you know, and so literature would come hand in hand with that. And so I know a big part of what you do in education is advocating for literacy now. Can you tell me a little bit about that evolution?
2: Yeah, from evolution from just like being an English major to now thinking about literacy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I kind of couldn't get away from it in a sense. So I was not interested in being an educator. My mom and grandmother and great grandmother were all teachers, and so I grew up hearing a lot of the stressors. The dynasty is strong. I the know dynasty is right? something yeah. in the water
0: over there in rural Arkansas. <laughs> right, right, I might be tapping into that. Uh,
2: yes. So I grew up hearing a lot of those, um, just the struggles that you know teachers face right. in our current system, um, but. I also grew up being a voracious reader and loving stories and loving ideas. That was that just came very naturally to me. And then um, I think in college, at the same time I was working with students, I began to really be exposed to educational inequities. And I had experienced those um, being from rural Arkansas. We have a lot, we face similar challenges um, that people might talk about in Memphis, but in a rural context. But yeah, as as a lot of those educational inequities became more clear to me, I started to realize just some of the opportunities that I'd had because um, I was very skilled, very proficient reader and writer and could communicate effectively and the worlds that that opened for me. And so I think just the combination of my love for literature, but then also realizing not every student um, was
0: able to share that really kind of fired a passion in me to take part in that work. Excellent. And you've done so partially by building a really diverse classroom library. Um, Can you tell us more about how you were able to create that, the sort of books you include, Mm -hmm. what the reaction has been from students? Yeah.
2: Yes, that's great. I love to talk about classroom libraries, so I'm so glad you brought that up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... I would say that my journey with that started when I was a resident with the Memphis Teacher Residency, and I learned about the importance of independent reading and students having choice and voice in their education. Yeah. And then, as I stepped into my own classroom, I started to look for ways for students to have space, time, and access um, for high-quality literature. And I realized it's a real it's a real struggle because there's a lot of push it pushes on education, especially regarding literacy. And a lot of those don't actually allow for students to like choose, you know, anything, much of anything, let alone their own book. So um, I got into that work, was interested in it. And then I came across um, a grant in an organization called the Book Love Foundation, and they sponsored a really significant portion of my classroom library. So this was three or four years ago, maybe longer ago now. Um, anyway, so that really catapulted me, and then from there, I'm just always looking for, I'm always looking for the money, you know, like always <laughs> looking for ways to provide students with new books. And I found that students' response to that has been actually really um, encouraging. I think initially, many students think they don't want to read. Yeah, and then <laughs> that that's a common a common uh, comment in the English. Classroom, but what I found is when you give students time and let them choose, they actually begin to enjoy the journey um, more than they would have thought. So yeah. it takes a lot of coaching, it's not just about providing the books, although that is a tremendous part, but having conversations with kids um, about books they might like, about who they are, and really it's about developing students as they begin to see their own like capacity as readers and th- to, they begin to see their identity as readers it's really like i would say identity a lot of identity work that's happening there too so it's fun i read a lot of kids literature uh for that purpose so that i can give kids recommendations about things they might like so that's so sweet
1: i love that um and actually something that you said touched a nerve with me because i i was a journalism major so i have mm-hmm. like a wild hair for English every now and again, (laughs) but I I do very much appreciate the choice. And that's what you were talking about Mm. too, is that like a lot of people, a lot of young people in particular, um, think that they don't like to read or aren't confident in their reading because of maybe the options they're given. You know, if they're not super exciting, why would I be fired up to read it even if I can? And if I can't, well, then shoot, now I really don't want to try. Yes. And so um, even as an adult, that's something that I have found exciting is being able to pick my own books and go at the pace that I want and, you know, carve out time to make me excited and to take me away to
2: different lands and mm. explore things like that. Yeah. There's a uh, significant uh, person in the, the work of, like, diverse children's literature named rudy and sims bishop and she has this analogy that she uses of windows uh, mirrors and sliding glass doors and it's just this idea that every person every child when they step into a classroom or a library you know deserves to be able to see themselves that's the mirror piece and then the window and the sliding glass door those are also analogies for you know understanding the perspective of other people and entering other stories and I think, particularly in Memphis, because um, I serve, you know, a majority African American student population, a lot of the times the curriculum that we've been given doesn't necessarily reflect our students and their experiences. So I think um, just borrowing from Bishop's work that she did, this was in the '90s when she kind of created that analogy, I believe, um, it's really powerful for kids to be able to see to see themselves. Because if you have Too much of one or the other, there's distortions that happen, you know, any any way you spin it. So, yeah, it's been
0: a powerful way for me to think about how to connect students with texts. Yeah. One of the things that makes you excellent is uh, like the research that you've done, like even just Mm -hmm. being able to pull that quote out and thinking about the way it's informed your practice. Um, I know you've just completed national board certification, (laughs) which is huge. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your continued investment in your own development as a practitioner
2: yeah well thank you for for pulling that out um I would say (laughs) I love to I love to continue to invest in my own development because I'm a learner first and I think one of the most powerful things we can do for students is model that we like love learning and are passionate about our practice so yeah national board certification I'm not officially certified yet (laughs) Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. December. December is when we find out.
0: I knew it was coming. It's coming. It's
2: coming, guys. We're going to speak that into existence. We're manifesting it. Yeah. Yeah. So the the process for that is quite long. You, like, submit in May and then find out in December. So pretty soon. Um, But a couple other things that I've been working on. Most recently, um, I completed a program to become certified to be a reading specialist. So... I just found out that I am certified now, which is great for that. (laughs) So that's to support students with reading and writing difficulties. And I'm really passionate about that, as you can see. Um, The other thing that I'm currently working on, this is through a grant the state offers, which I'm very thankful for. Um, I'm pursuing my ESL certification. So to be able to better serve like multilingual learners. Um, in our city and to learn more about how to invest in their needs. So I'm working on that right now. <laughs> doing what lots is, of learning. What is that process like? Yeah, well, this is, this is um, actually a great thing this, our state is doing, State Department um, in partnership with Trevecca Nazarene. So essentially they the state is funding different cohorts of teachers that want to get their certification in um, ESL. So to teach, you know, English language learners, multilingual learners. And to do that certification, you can't just like some some certifications, you can take a test, a Praxis test and pass and get certified. But with this particular certification, you have to actually have some coursework. So they're partnering mm-hmm. with the organization, with the university to provide the coursework and then um, funds for you to take the Praxis. So it's a great, uh, great program the state's doing because there's a huge need for Absolutely. ESL teachers, and there's, like, definitely a gap there.
1: Interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. I can definitely see your, your passion.
1: It's coming through loud and clear, so I hope it is to you too, dear listener. Um, so something that you mentioned in your application, so I don't want to, like, pair it back to you quotes because I don't want to be, like, creepy like that, but <laughs> something that you did mention um, was that the Memphis Heritage Trail Teacher Institute Um, deepened your personal passion for literacy and helping you contextualize literacy in Memphis. So I was unfamiliar with what that is. Can you tell me what the Memphis Heritage Trail Teacher Institute is? Sure, yeah. Um, It it doesn't have to be, like—I mean, maybe—is this common vernacular for, like, educators? I don't know. I'm not an educator. No, I mean, I
2: think—so this is a local program that happened. I believe it's still happening, but um, I did this— believe it was before the pandemic, so it's been a little bit, but it was a really cool opportunity for teachers to familiarize themselves with significant sites around Memphis, um, particularly related to our city and our historical um, heritage here. So I did that um, experience, and I I think it was a bunch of different teachers from different content areas, primarily English and history. Um, But for me, yeah, a lot of my learning was focused on library I was really curious about like the public library here um, the public library system and the desegregation of public libraries in Memphis so that was really interesting because learning we got to do like on-site kind of work and be around in the city it happened in the summer so we were all very free (laughs) (laughs) yes so we got to do reading and research but then also think about how to teach students about that history as well so it was awesome
0: you've done that once before and you had a similar opportunity on a global scale this summer, um, awarded the Fund for Teachers grant. Again, just a shiny example of the way you're continuing your own development, really um, kind of practicing what you preach for students in terms of continuous learning. Uh, tell us, tell our listeners about what the Fund for Teachers is, where you got to go, what you learned. Yes. So Fund for Teachers is an awesome organization.
2: When I originally heard of it, I thought people were telling me it was fun, like F U N for teachers. <laughs> and it's also that. <laughs> it's also that. It's fun okay. and fund for teachers. <laughs> so this is this amazing organization just exists. They would say we exist to Um, inspire teachers because inspired teachers inspire students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super awesome um, concept, and they really follow through with that mission. So essentially um, what I was able to do was design my own professional development, what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, how I wanted to study, and it's very experiential. So, yeah, it's similar to the Memphis Heritage Trail in that I was able to do the learning in the specific place, um, and think about how I would connect that to my content and curriculum. So fantastic. I also got to do it with my husband because he teaches, you know, I teach English and he teaches U.S. history. So there's a lot of content connections yeah. there, which are really awesome and fun. So it's a great experience. I got to go to um, England and France. So that's where most of our uh, grant money and experience was focused. Wow. So um, so what is,
1: I know this is probably recent, you probably have to, as part of a grant, you probably have to like tell them what you learned and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, So what is one thing that like off the top of your head, you're really excited to try to implement from that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think a significant content connection. So American literature is kind of a focus for 11th grade and I teach mostly 11th grade this year. And so one thing that I learned about was the kind of continual movement of African-American intellectuals, Writers, artists to Paris. So, kind of, they had a corresponding um, Harlem Renaissance there, more or less. And so, I learned just really interesting things about that that I think will just kind of ignite students' imagination when we're talking about um, that era of literature. Also, though, I think I was really interested in the way that France as a country has chosen to contextualize some of the more difficult aspects of their history. Mm -hmm. Um, They They require, by law, them to teach um, certain aspects of their history. They have public monument to that, and they invite students into that process. So it's really interesting just the way that um, our travels and our experience exposed me to that and to a different way of doing things. Really cool.
1: That is just really neat. Um, I'm particularly excited by that because I just—I love the way that you— are bringing it all back like I know that Aaron was like how are you doing your own personal development but as much as I see like the passion for you like continually learning and figuring out the ways mm-hmm. to like better yourself and be the best educator you possibly can be I also hear like what does this mean like you're not just being better for the sake of being better like you're specifically looking for certain things that will help your students the students that you see every day not just general students but the ones that you know um, to succeed as well so I love that kind of pay it forward attitude like you didn't just go abroad just to go abroad <laughs> really, really.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well thank you yeah it's it's fun I mean when you have an experience about that to think about like what what does this mean for my students and myself and I think being reflective like that is one of the things that I think sets teachers apart as a profession like we're always trying to figure out okay how do I how do I reach my students
0: and if I may give a plug, as a Stride alumna, she has done some of that development specific to her, but hopefully, again, continues to to impact the classroom. Any words on um, your Stride experience? Yes,
2: I would love to say some words about my Stride experience. <laughs> so, um, I, do our listeners, do they know what Stride is? Can I? They do, I tell but them? feel free to
0: recap. Yeah. They've, yeah. Heard, they've heard it from me plenty. Yeah? <laughs> okay, cool,
2: cool, good. Well, I think the thing that I loved about Stride was just the way that I was being prompted paid encouraged to invest in myself and that just so happens so rarely hardly ever <laughs> for our teachers you know we're at so much is asked of us so much is required of us and often so little support is given and so it was really neat to be a part of an organization that said hey we want to encourage you and your your development as a person as a whole human and also, let's have some fun. Like, yeah. we did some really fun events, and it was so great, you know, after a long school day to just go connect with other um, teachers, make other friends, and just to do really cool stuff. Like, at Shelby Farms,
0: sporting events, really fun. Love that. Thank you so much. And, again, great, glad to have you and happy to count you among our alums as we continue uh Getting out and about in the city and and thinking about teachers
1: first. Absolutely. If you have just changed the dial and are just now joining us, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. And we are chatting with Valen Warner, uh, an educator at East High School. And she is a 2022 Educator of Excellence honoree. And we are super excited to dig a little bit deeper with her.
0: Valen, what is one hard lesson you've learned in your career as a teacher and and something that you might pass along um to a new teacher. Mm. Mm. That's tough, I know.
2: Cheesy. <laughs> Nothing For like it. a loaded question. I know. <laughs> so, lesson that I've learned and something I would pass along. Mm. I think um the biggest, well, I don't even want to say the biggest. Let me, let me <laughs> not say that cuz I've <laughs> learned <plenty>. so <laughs> many things about, you know, being a teacher through being a teacher, it's kind of a trial by fire profession in so many ways. But I I think um, learning to care about what really matters and to kind of just let the rest of it go has been really helpful for me. I think it takes a lot of time to figure out what does matter, and then what doesn't? Because as a teacher, you're told so many things matter, mm-hmm. and in fact, you're in charge of all the things that do. <laughs> so figure it out. You know, sometimes that can be the the feeling that we get, whether it's from people in our school building or just the general kind of existential sense you have for being responsible for other human yeah. beings. But mm-hmm. I, I think just learning to faithfully show up and know I'm gonna I'm gonna really do what matters. And then leaving the rest, you know, leave the rest. Once you you hit that door, it stays there, you know, learning to kind of create those boundaries for yourself, I think, is really probably the only way to stay in the field because it's really hard work. So what would be that advice, though, for new for new people? Yeah, I think so. The practical step for doing that for figuring out what boundaries i think kind of apprentice yourself to other people that you see doing it well Mm -hmm. it may may, it may feel hard to find in your building um you guys see an avid elementary yeah love the show find your find your barb she's there (laughs) she's somewhere she might not be in your school but she's somewhere in the city in the area and ask her and more than likely she's gonna be like hey chill out and you know (laughs) leave, leave that don't worry about it and so that's been helpful for me. I've found other teachers that have done that for me and as they've kind of invested in me in that way, I've learned to do it for myself a little bit more effectively.
0: Yeah. The 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 visual imagery I have for that, um, I call it paper bunnies because my best friend um is kind of, was my teacher mentor. Like mm. I got into the profession partially because of her and I you know, I felt like she was a couple years ahead of me in her learning and I, I took what I could. Um she told me the story of a teacher cutting out paper bunnies for a bulletin board at like two in the morning when she didn't have a lesson plan for the next day. (laughs) So like what is important here, the paper bunnies or the lesson plan? Um, So I try to remind myself of the the fluff, the paper bunnies, and not let myself get too caught up in expending time and energy um, and concern on those paper bunnies. That's a great Concrete story. Right there. I love it. <laughs> Let the paper bunnies go. Let them go.
1: Let them <laughs> go. Hop away. Let it go. Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception that you had when entering the profession of educator?
0: Hopefully, less than most folks, just because you you've got You're, such. Yeah. I was Folks, about to say, But, like, yeah. maybe, maybe there were misconceptions mm-hmm. because you had experience with other educators. Yeah, maybe know. it was pleasantly surprising, <laughs> Aaron. Geez.
2: <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I think,
2: so, I don't think I came in with kind of this, like, s- silly, idealistic kind of view. I, mean, I don't know that many people do, but I'm sure there are some people that maybe would have some kind of overly idealistic view of what it looks like to be a classroom teacher. I don't think I necessarily came in with that because I'd had so much exposure through family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um I do think that I perhaps underestimated, maybe not even under, I don't know that I would say underestimated, but didn't know how difficult it is to work in a system that feels so much bigger than you. It's like when there's, you know, things that the state of Tennessee is deciding or your school district is deciding and that how one teacher can feel like a drop in the bucket for a system like that. And I think on the one hand, that's like really discouraging on the other hand, it's humbling and just kind of reminds you, okay, my locus of control is pretty small. So back to that paper bunnies thing. Let me figure out what I can impact, mm-hmm. what I can handle. And let me focus on that because there's going to be a lot that I really don't have an ability to change, you know, on the day-to-day basis.
0: So. Yeah. And to that end, thinking about kind of the larger systems, um, is there anything that you as a teacher do to stay informed like is it is it better to kind of remove from some of that? Are there ways that you involve yourself um, at the systems level? Mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I think I think that there it is important to be involved and to be to be aware. Um, there is a balance of not letting those things kind of stress you to the point of not being able to continue mm-hmm. on. <laughs> but I think being aware is important and, and advocacy I think is really important. Um, I would say, For me, some of the ways that I stay informed, um, Chalkbeat, I'm sure y'all are familiar with. I'm a subscriber to all of their things, (laughs) email, newsletter, all that good stuff. And so I stay very informed through the work that they're doing. And I'm very appreciative for the work that they've done um, just on education in our area and in Tennessee and nationally. So that's been very helpful. I think also uh, one of the things that they've done is give updates on school board Uh, regular updates on the meetings, the votes that are happening. And I I have commented a few different times on, uh, you know, school board meeting issues that are coming up. So I think those uh, two things have been really important to me as well. And then, of course, voting, always voting. That's very important, too. Love it.
0: Yes, listeners, um, we here at New Memphis are big fans of Chalkbeat. We've partnered with them on several events recently. um, And what Valen's talking about, you can get on their text list, get, like, one text a month updating you about the school board. Um, So if you don't feel like you've got time to commit to going to those meetings and being a part, you can still stay informed. Um, So speaking of that, other than Chalkbeat, is there anything else that you'd like to see from local community members? to be getting involved in education and supporting the work happening in classrooms.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, recently, actually, and I think one of the most powerful things that community members can do is, I'm mean, really I can think of three things. One, join the PTO. So if your kid is at a school, like be involved, know what's going on, um, take part in that school community. It makes a big difference. The school that I work at has a wonderful PTO and the parents are super involved and they support teachers and kids in all kinds of ways. Um, perhaps you're not in a situation where you have a kid or they're at school in a school, um, a public school or something. The other thing I would recommend is like find a school anyway and support that school (laughs) like adopt them as your Mm -hmm. school so we have a wonderful person um who has done that at our school her name is miss janice and you just know every single sporting event miss janice is going to be at and she's probably going to be at every assembly and she's going to have brownies for like a ton of people like she's just chosen to do this just chosen she has no like familial connection to east she's just chosen to be at our school and i think that's really powerful and i think the more people that do that in a school the better um if you feel that that's overwhelming, find a teacher and adopt a teacher. <laughs> Bring them brownies
0: and coffee and they'll be so happy. So If you're looking for a teacher, New Memphis has a whole list of alumni, current participants, teachers ready, for adoption. <laughs> yes, <laughs> ready yes. for adoption. They will they will take it because the thing is, you know, it's
2: you don't hear very often in your day, thank you and good job. You know, those aren't things that you would often hear don't really expect it to hear from kids because you know they're children but even in our work environment sometimes so it can go a long way just to like send an email bring a cup of coffee really something small would make a tremendous difference um, in the life of a teacher
0: yeah thinking about um, being in community people like Miss Jana showing up to support I know you live in the community that you teach in um, why it was that important to you and your husband thinking about living and working in that community Yeah, that's a
2: great question. I think the word that comes to mind there is proximity. And I think um, it's one thing to teach in a school and that's still really powerful, but living near the students that you teach, I think just helps you understand holistically kind of their lives and and the struggles that they face, the joys that they face. And so I think um, for us, living where we live has helped really helped us to do that and it's made us feel just like rooted in memphis like this is home for us this is where we are and when we choose to advocate for things we're able to do it from a place of real knowledge and concern and not just from like an outside perspective exclusively so
0: i'm sure there's some fun kroger run-ins with kiddos oh all the time (laughs) all the time it's so fun i I always love like the shocked face i was like i Just outside of our office the other day, I was like walking between the parking garage and here, and I ran into (laughs) a student I taught several years ago, full-grown adult. She's got a baby now, like. But it was so good to see her. So so fun. That's always the shock of like, is that
2: Miss Wendell? Is that you?
0: My favorite is when
2: they try to avoid. When I used to teach middle school, they'd like turn the other direction. (laughs) I was like, I see you. I see you. But high school, they they're usually looking for you. It's fun. That's hilarious. So (laughs) something that I
1: think is truly remarkable with the educators of excellence in particular and um, the conversations I've been able to have over the years with really exceptional educators is the way that y'all are balancing both being stable and being a stable force, both in your schools, in children's lives, in the classroom, in X, Y, Z, but then also Modeling flexibility <laughs> and having adaptability, and having kind of both of those things at the same time, which feels frankly impossible. <laughs> but I feel mm-hmm. like educators, in particular, are very, very skilled very passionate educators really do model that really well. Mm -hmm. And so I was curious if you had any kind of tips or tricks for just us mere mortals trying (laughs) to kind of.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, goodness. To be
1: adaptable, but yet
2: stable. (laughs) Oh, man. I think that that's the work of life, isn't it? Like it's just it that just takes a lot of practice for everybody. I think the two things for me that are really stabilizing. I mean, I already said this about my work. It continues to be true but one is community so just finding people in my life that can ask about my work but also people that can not ask about my work and we can talk about other things because I do have a lot of friends that are teachers and sometimes it can be tiring for us to just talk about that so I think surrounding yourself with a mix of people that can really um, invest in you so that you're still able to invest in others um and then I'm always a fan of good old-fashioned therapy. I think it's great, <laughs> and I think a lot of educators that I know take advantage of that because when you're in a profession where you're continually investing in students, working with people, and hearing the hard things of people's lives, it's a lot, and you can kind of start to ignore your own need to do work. And so I think having other people and then you know maybe even if you need that resource therapy, like both of those things can be really positive for continuing to make sure that you're – flexible, um,
1: but also stable. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Thank you. I'm, I'm pro therapy myself also. So what on a lighter note, what do you like to do for self care? Like, if it's Friday night and you're like...
2: Oh, boy. Let's see. I'm a huge fan of ice cream. I don't know why that's a person came That's, like, not caring for my body in some ways, but... <laughs> I have two students this year that work at Baskin-Robbins, so I'm like, I'm coming, y'all. <laughs> I'm coming for you. You're just supporting the community. I am. That's what I tell myself. So, yeah, I really enjoy... F- I do enjoy food, though. Like, uh, ice cream's huge dessert fan. So, I've, whether it's at home, sometimes going out for that is a really yeah. fun... Um, the flip side of that, I do love to run, love to exercise. Oh, okay. So I'll do that sometimes. Probably not on a Friday evening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, the first, not, not the first thing I'm you're going h- for. I'm headed for my couch about that yeah. time. Yeah, that's
0: the like. I feel like in other professions, like Friday evening is like kicking off the weekend. And like I feel like ask any teacher, Friday <laughs> evening is like I'm going to bed and recuperating. Like if you want to yes. go out, catch me Saturday night because exactly. Friday is pure exhaustion. And Sunday is prepping.
1: that's right. It's our one day weekend. So you get get a Saturday night. Um, So what has been, I'm curious, what has been like a moment for you in your years of teaching that you're like, this is it. This is why I do what I do. And a lot of times I feel like when I ask people this, even when I ask like business professionals this, I'm like, how do you know you're being successful? Like what Mm. makes you really excited? And you're like, this is the moment. Mm -hmm. This is what I work for. And it's usually not like the big fancy things or the dinners or the, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes it is. But more often than not, it's usually like the little nuanced things. And so Mm -hmm. I love to hear what it is that like if you have a few of those moments that you were just
2: like, I'm getting through. I'm making a difference. Yes. Uh, Well, I can actually think of well, two memories in particular come to mind and they actually both come from the time that I worked in middle school prior to my current position as a high school teacher. So when um, I taught middle school, I taught eighth grade and I'm thinking of one student in particular that uh, every time we would do independent reading, it was like pulling teeth. Like she was just not happy about it. And my approach to that was I never forced it. So I never forced her to, yeah, which is like, you know, kind
1: of counterintuitive. Yeah, and a little
2: controversial because some people definitely would force, you know. But uh, my perspective was that I'm not just trying to get you to do well on a state test. I'm thinking about you as a person and your experiences with books. And as adults, you know, we're not forcing ourselves to read something, you know, most of the time. (laughs) We either want to read it and we're going to read it. And so thinking about how to facilitate those positive experiences with books I kind of just let this child have her space for quite a while um, and just kept having like side conversations about things kind of putting things in front of her. Like this was for several months and then second semester I am listening in on a conversation between uh, she and her friend during class. I was letting them to talk about their books and I heard they were just kind of organically talking about the books and I was just like letting it happen, listening and the student, um, Mentioned, huh, that's interesting. And then in the coming weeks, she read multiple of that author's books. Yeah. And so it was kind of interesting to see how just, like, taking myself out of the equation and letting students, like, have choice, have voice, and, like, be able to have conversations with each other about books. Something really natural and beautiful happened, which was this kid made a book recommendation to her friend. And then she read all the books. You know, she read this author's books. And so that was a really beautiful thing where – my classroom became a space for that, for almost like a book club vibe, you know. So the
0: That's other. Adorable. Yeah, it is sweet. And uh, huge power to, I think it, it takes a lot of human, particularly as a new teacher, to remove yourself from the equation in some ways and trust in your students. So. Yeah, I was about to say, oh,
1: like logistically, my mind is like, but what? Did, but what did she do during <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> so this a great question. And you know, I work. I'm like, with, but like, what? What happened uh, when I'd she lo- didn't read? Yeah,
2: well, I'd, lo- I'd be happy to answer it because I, I actually do have worked with, um, you know, first year teachers on some of these things. I, I mean, there's quite a spectrum in how you want to do independent reading, but I've always been of the perspective that that's a space where we're not just like we're actually cultivating students in their identities and their abilities as readers. And that extends so much beyond the classroom or that grade level. So, I mean, I just let her, as long as she wasn't disturbing anybody when we were doing independent reading, I just kind of let her sit be calm she wasn't really doing much but I just let her sit as a very and you you have a principal walk in on that be like what's the kid doing but it, I think it really birthed some beautiful things in the classroom and a lot of trust from that student I did continue to pursue like I'd put books in front of her I have talked to her about it a lot so it's not just like go
1: free <laughs> yeah go free
2: figure it out like I was kind of working with her it's a very yeah. relational thing but I just knew like I kind of had to give her the time so that's yeah. awesome Yeah.
0: And then second memory. Yeah,
2: the second memory also has to do with that. So um, I can't remember if it was that year or another year, but similar experiences, just slowly working with students about reading and reading identity and independent reading. Um, I had a student, similar thing, where it was just like all year long. It's like, okay, are we going to read? Book, like, can we do this? You know, it just was hard because another thing is, like, students don't have strong reading stamina, especially if they're not re- proficient readers, it's very yeah. hard, yeah, and so, taxing. yeah, yeah, very taxing, just like strains them, um, anyway. I had a particular student that I was working with that had some significant learning needs. And uh, for whatever reason, this student, he really wanted to read the Babysitter's Club (laughs) graphic novel. Like, this is not the book that I put in front of him, like, hey, you know, maybe you'll like this. He loved it. (laughs) (laughs) So I also think that's a delightful memory for me, a kid that I worked really hard with to get him to read. And, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, you might like this, you might like this. And he chooses the Babysitter's Club. (laughs) It was awesome. So I think outside the box. (laughs) Yeah. So kids will surprise you sometimes, too. And I think that's really fun. Um, But both of those are just instances where I chose to like take time, give the kid time and trust the process. And it did not happen overnight at all. But it was really powerful to see how that played into a really positive experience for them with reading that they may not have had before. I think also doing the hard work, like you said, of the relationships is
1: another aspect of it. I mean, so much of anything worthwhile often takes time. Yes. And that's really hard because, I mean, when you want success for someone, you want it now. And you're excited about making that a reality. And it, the tendency would be, like you said, to push, Aaron. Mm-hmm. Like, to... In a loving way, but to be Mm -hmm. like, come on, like, I promise you will like reading once you just Mm -hmm. do it. Just do it like it's, you know, and I mean, as a parent, that's what I feel like. I'm I'm like, I promise, like, I have your best intentions at Mm -hmm. heart. So, like, just listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, that's a little bit I feel like about what that might feel like. So taking the time, like you Mm -hmm. said, in the humility too, to be like, this can work. I just have to let it work. Mm -hmm. And like, wow. That's like speaking to me.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks. Very fitting that you had two lovely student-focused memories as like career highlights. Um, mm. Again, obviously not doing it for the accolades, but we're grateful to have you here today as a winner of this award. Um, thanks to the Cruz Family Foundation being able to to grant you this fifteen hundred dollar award. I'm curious. Mm. Um, unlike a lot of grants and things for teachers, there there are no requirements for how our winners spend this money. Um, so you know you. You could put it right back into education in your classroom or you could use it for you because it is truly a a thank you to you and the the hard work that you're doing and how much you're already investing. Um, I'm curious if you've thought about how you want to use your award um, this year.
2: Yeah, this is hilarious and so not glamorous, but um, (laughs) my husband and I are both teachers, so when we got this award, I was like, oh, great, we can fix our sink. (laughs) How very practical. (laughs) Uh, I think in the past I've been like, oh, I'm going to invest it in this, I'm going to invest it in that, but yeah, just like practical needs, it's pretty crazy, but that stuff just comes up, so there's a part of it for that, and then of course, you know, Erin, I love to travel, so... You know, there's there's part of me, too, that's like, okay, we're going to
0: put a squirrel some away. Yeah, 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 totally. You know,
2: I can't just spend this on plumbing. We're not doing that.
0: (laughs) No, I love that. I think, again, part of the reason we do this award is because we know uh, that teachers deserve higher and better pay and and to take care of all of life's necessities. Um, So I actually think there's great fun and and using it for for basic things um, Mm. that sometimes don't always feel so basic. Yes. Thank you.
2: We appreciate that. We really <laughs> do.
0: And thanks to the family that funded this. It's
2: really awesome. I love it. Um, if you are just now joining
1: us, we are chatting with Valen Warner, who is our tw- one of our 2022 Educators of Excellence honorees. Um, and we are learning a little bit more about her and her career and everything in between. What do you wish the general Memphis community knew about educators that they might not already know.
2: Man, if I if I was thinking of something that's important for the general public to know is just like how hard it is to get people to go into education right now and that there are some serious uh, changes that need to happen in order to sustain the profession, that it's like a real concern. You know, I don't want everything we talk about today to be like, oh, Debbie Downer. But I, I do think it's a real, real concern that because teachers aren't adequately um, compensated for the work that they do, there are less and less people that are willing to go into the field um and so I think that 's just something for people to know and to think about how they can advocate for change um in that area because teachers are like on the front lines of all of society, and that we 're educating you know most of the workforce yes. through what we do <laughs> yeah yeah all of the workforce <laughs> right all of the workforce unless you do some kind of alternative thing for schooling, which is fine too but Uh, Yeah. So I think that's really important for people to know and to be made aware of that, you know, this is something that needs to change. Speaking
1: a little bit about resources and funding, you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that you love to like chase the money for your <laughs> for your uh, class, um, not in the way that some people might think of right. it, but you know to make sure that you know the bells and whistles and everything like your diverse library, which is not a bells and whistle. Please don't hear me say that to your <laughs> listener. Um, yes. is available and provides access for your students. So, can you tell me a little bit about how you go about like finding? That kind of information is that readily accessible? Is that something that is the norm for a lot of school teachers? Is it I mean, how did you know to do that? Mm-hmm. Is that a silly
2: question? <laughs> no, no, I think it's a great question. I do think that I apply to probably an unusually high amount of grants <laughs> compared to most you <laughs> like I have friends that have been like, "Wow, you're always like, you know." And but it's it's more because I think a lot of times what people don't know, a lot of it is in the application. And you know, learning and studying an application, and then kind of tailoring, you know, like for me because I know my students well, I know what they need. I'm able to kind of complete the application in a way that reflects that. So I do think that's a skill. Some people have cultivated it. I mean, I was an English major in college, so that helps. I also took a grant writing class, so that helps. Oh, there's some kind of background there. But I do think that there's more available than maybe some teachers have been exposed to. For me. I just Google all the time. I'm <laughs> always searching if there's something that I'm interested in using. Um, I am connected to different networks of teachers through the Memphis Teacher Residency, and then also because of working for Memphis Shelby County Schools, they send out some resources for grants. And basically, anytime I see one that I think works, I apply for it. Um, and I am trying to encourage other, like especially younger teachers that I know and work with, to do that as do that as well. So.
0: There's an already an idea cooking up in my head, like Stride alumni uh, session, yeah. applying for education grants. Oh, I'd we'll be talk. happy we'll to talk. do it. I'd be happy to do it because I think there there's just a lot available. There really is. My favorite part of episodes is something we do called the lightning round where we just kind of hit oh. your rapid fire with some quick questions. Okay. <laughs> what did you want to be as a kid? Oh, mm, my
2: goodness. Um, oh, maybe counselor or social worker, probably.
0: Mm.
2: Which, I'm sure you wear that hat
0: quite frequently still. (laughs) Uh, Favorite library branch in Memphis? Benjamin Hooks. It's close. It's big. It's it's awesome. All of the things.
2: Uh, What are you currently reading? Ooh. I am currently reading The Scarlet Letter because my students are studying it. Mm -hmm. How many Um, times have you read The Scarlet Letter? Dude, actually, this is my first time through. Can you believe that? What? English major? Yeah. How is that even possible? Well, see, uh, I didn't have a great education, actually, Cage. K-12. <laughs> Goody Warner. I'm coming for you, Goody Warner. <laughs> right. So, you know, I found that some of the things people are like, I read this in high school. I was like, oh, I did not. You know, so so I make up for some Never of these too things. Late. Never too late.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm reading that, though. It's Sorry, good. I'm not
0: adhering to the rules. You're fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. We buy we the conversation. It's great. What is your most recommended book? For oh, students or friends, word. either one. I know That's a it's a terrible question. Impossible, <laughs> as a fellow book lover with an overflowing set of built-in bookshelves in her home, oh, I get that it's unfair. Gosh. Beowulf. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Be- okay. I was like, wow, <laughs> I'm okay. learning something about you. No, um, not at all. <laughs> it's like the hardest.
2: <laughs> well, man, I don't know. Okay, so I can think of so many books. I love books, uh, but Toni Morrison. I'm a huge Toni Morrison fan. I really like. So Beloved is probably her most, most like well-known and appreciated, but I really like The Bluest Eye. I think it's just a great, great book. So I'd recommend reading that, but it's, it's a heavy read,
0: so yeah, prepare. Get you to Benjamin Hooks. Check out The <laughs> Bluest Eye. Uh, favorite lunch to pack for school? Oh, no. This is, this is hilarious because I was just telling
2: my husband today, I'm like, I really need to stop bringing peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've been subsisting
0: on, like, the last few weeks. Grape or strawberry jelly? Strawberry, same. Oh, good. Okay, good. good. See, it's already. This is, it. That's a gourmet PB and J. That's all right. That's right. You keep. You keep eating that. Favorite annual Memphis event. Ooh. You look like you were going to say something. You got one? Oh no, I was going to say that was my last lightning round question. But <laughs> Man, go for it.
2: Favorite annual Memphis event. Okay. This is maybe because I'm a runner, but St. Jude. I really yes. love the St. Jude Marathon. I mean, I've never run the full marathon, so hear me. Half marathon, <laughs> girl. Uh, but, yeah, that event is just always such a beautiful thing to me because it's just bringing so many people from our city together for a good cause. And the energy is just awesome. And then it's kind of building on training that people have done, you know, for months.
0: Mm-hmm. So I love, I love St. Jude. I agree. I'm not a runner. My boyfriend is running the full this year, and his his family is, like, all registering for the 5K in support, and they're trying to pressure me into doing it, but (laughs) cheering for St. Jude is my favorite thing.
1: You want to know something fun? I—okay, my sister did the half. I don't even think she did—no, yeah, she did the half, and my mom and I did the 5K, and we still had time to go eat brunch and then come back (laughs) That's, not to say that she was slow, but I'm just saying, like, I think that, might be, how that much, might be what you just said. No, but I'm saying, like, that's how long the event is. It feels like right. it's yeah. They purposely started long. earlier. So they're
0: they're trying like, to it's tell a long me day. I have time. I'm not gonna, like you say you like to cheer. I'm like, yeah, come at me. Like they say I have time to run it and then go back to cheer. But I'm pretending I don't know that information. Shh, <laughs> don't tell them. Okay, I will post up with my poster boards. They need people to cheer for them, too, on the 5K yeah so. they do true. okay true.
1: i do have one more thing so this is not a lightning round okay but we did do it <laughs> with school board chair michelle mckissick when she was here all right so this is and it's something that i think was originally a TikTok, but since aaron and i are elder millennials we saw it on instagram oh, or yeah. when it came to uh hoda and um jenna's across the today show so if you have these i don't know if you can see right here so you have these color folders and red, have, blue, green, and yellow. Yes. And you have these subjects.
0: Okay. English history, math, and science. Thank yes. you. <laughs>
1: you remember this, huh? Yes. Okay. So which one gets what color?
0: This, okay. is, this
1: is for your personal. Here, you can I'm use I'm really
2: that. curious what this is going to say about me, but <laughs> I'm going to do it.
1: Okay. So it is, there's like a common one for each one. Um,
2: okay. I'm done. I, I don't know. It's maybe totally different than okay. what people do. I'm super curious. So you
1: said green was English.
2: Yeah. Why is that? It's my favorite color. It's yes, <laughs> the subject same. that I teach. Same. Okay.
1: okay, you said blue is history. <laughs> this is so lame. It's my husband's favorite color. It's the subject that he teaches. Um, red is math.
2: Oh, least favorite of those colors and <laughs> least
1: favorite <laughs> subject. funny. Whenever we said that, we
2: were like, uh, red means stop. <laughs> and we, were like, uh, we love you, math teachers. We Dude, love Dude, math. math is important. I probably would like it better if I would had a good experience in school. So yes to all the math teachers. Math. We love you. Mm-hmm. And then yellow is science then? Yeah. Just kind of indifferent. Things cool. Good. Yeah. See for me, green is always science. It's like, although
1: that kind of makes more like, sense.
0: No, but I agree with you. I'm also she's a green, big green green fan. is favorite color. So yeah. favorite subject, favorite color. I'm intrigued. So like now
1: you can ask your friends and see what they think and see what it says. About have them. you seen a
2: Have you seen a trend for what people say?
0: I, I believe like, I believe there is like a more than average answer, and then I think green for science is like the big one. But I love. The the best part is it's never random. People always people always have very instinct and a rationale.
2: Well, I also my other rationale was like actually about my own performance in school. So I was like green, Mm. super high, did green on it, blue next yellow like hmm, and then red math just in the red, <laughs> in the red. that's hilarious just, uh, I thought about it both as like favorite colors and associations but also like maybe my own performance at <laughs> school
1: yes so speaking of green and red my daughter actually is learning about green and red choices in school she's mm. three and a half and so she'll come home and be like that's a red choice mama <laughs> I'm like yeah it doesn't apply to mommy that's <laughs> hilarious all of mommy's choices are green thank you <laughs> that's a especially red this one right now <laughs> this is a green choice <laughs> (laughs) Um, One more, and then we can let you go, or Erin, you can chat. But um, one thing that we always ask also is, what does being a Memphian mean to you in one word?
0: One word. We're cruel, I know. I know. A
1: sentence, but not a compound sentence.
2: (laughs) So I can do three three words? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Beauty, creativity, Mm -hmm. and resilience
1: beauty
0: creativity and resilience i love that that makes me feel so happy I feel like that describes memphis but also your teaching so oh, thank you <laughs> I thank you for what you pour into this city every day and and for being truly an exemplar educator educator of excellence um someone who gives back to your community and to fellow teachers we're so thankful to have you thank you thanks so much I've really enjoyed it thanks bye
2: What
1: an excellent conversation, Erin.
0: I don't know about you, but I want to leave work and head to the library. Um, my my TBR, my to-be-read nightstand is already overflowing, but there's always room for more. There's always room for more. And honestly, whenever she was
1: talking about like the babysitter's club and like it made me think about like the boxcar children and like Nancy <sighs> Drew, and honestly, yeah. I'm like, is my three-year-old. Too young? Should I just pick them up and just read just start ahead? Just doing a chapter a night. Yeah, you know. you know, I'll just you know they're they're for her, but really they're for me. Wink, wink. A little nostalgia. Yeah, a little nostalgia never hurt anybody. But readers make leaders. Dear listener, inspired teachers imp- inspire students. I mean, we're just here for it. Yeah. I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup. All the things. But uh, we hope that any educators who are currently out on fall break are enjoying a much-needed respite this week. Um, We're hoping for some continued cooler temperatures, and yeah, we are just in the thick of it. So um, if you know an educator, if you don't know one, find one, give them a hug, give them a Starbucks gift card, you know, tell them they're doing a great job, and tell all the educators and teachers in your life, thank you for all that they do each and every day. So... Until next week, bye.
0: Bye, y'all. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.